So if you've heard this word bodhicitta, you probably know that it means something really, really important, uh, especially in the world of Mahayana Buddhism. Basically, when we say bodhicitta, it's a Sanskrit word made up of two other Sanskrit words. So the word bodhi means like awakening, like to wake up. So for instance, the Buddha is someone who woke up. So bodhi and Buddha are very related words. So that's the first part of it. Chitta means, you could say mind, you could translate it as mind, but it's really more of a heart mind than what we maybe think of when we just hear the word mind, like we might think of something more cognitive. So the simplest translation for this term bodhicitta is it is the heart mind of awakening. And the reason that this term is so important is because in Mahayana traditions, so I practice in the Tibetan tradition personally, which is one of the Mahayana traditions, and in those traditions, the reason that bodhicitta is so important is that optimally, it's the motivation for your entire practice. So you're not just practicing for yourself to wake up, you're actually practicing for everyone to wake up. Like everyone, like all humans, animals, you know, whatever other types of beings there are in the world. Your goal, if you're cultivating bodhicitta, is to help everybody with their Bodhi process, their awakening process. Hello, Joski. I think sometimes it's easy to get stuck on the idea that we're trying to practice in order to like wake everyone else up and to feel like, oh, I don't have that capacity, which is normal. Like in the beginning, I mean, all of us here are beginners. So in the beginning, it makes sense to pay attention to our own practice, pay attention to our mind, our heart mind, again, our chitta, um, and just make sure that we're practicing in a way that's genuine because no one is able to liberate all beings from the get-go. Um, a related term to bodhicitta is bodhisattva. So you notice this word also starts with bodhi, with awakening, but sattva means being. So a bodhisattva is someone who has committed to the process of awakening. And this term can have a lot of different meanings. Like a bodhisattva could be somebody, you know, like me, probably like most of us, we're like an ordinary being, but we really have this aspiration to wake up, to like realize bodhicitta in our own mind and heart and help everyone wake up. So that's one meaning of this term bodhisattva. A bodhisattva can go from basically the, the bodhisattva who aspires to this awakening all the way up to a really great bodhisattva like Avalokiteshvara, the bodhisattva of compassion, who has a thousand arms and eleven heads and, you know, he can see everywhere because every arm, the, the hand of every arm has an eye in the center of the palm, which represents his ability to see the suffering of the world. So that's like a celestial bodhisattva, that's on the other end of the spectrum from us. But what the Dalai Lama has said about this intention, this motivation of bodhicitta, that's like the driver behind the bodhisattva's quest for awakening, the Dalai Lama has said even though we're not necessarily able to help everyone wake up right now, 
it's still really powerful to make that motivation or to make that aspiration because it's almost like, you know, setting your guidance on the North Star. Like if you have that as your direction that you're headed in, it keeps you on track. And the Dalai Lama has also said that like the heart really of Bodhicitta, which is the intention to help everybody wake up, that that is, it's a powerful thing to aspire to because it cracks open our ordinary sense of self. Like if I'm just thinking about me, I mean, I can't help all living beings wake up to the nature of reality. Like, what am I going to do? I mean, I, I could like write the best book I can write or something like that, but it, it's not like it's going to, you know, cause this like massive awakening. But the Dalai Lama has said to even imagine all living beings, not just on this planet, like any inhabited planet throughout space, any being who exists anywhere, to make that aspiration, I want to benefit everyone, all these beings, it cracks open our sense of self. And we have to be oriented toward not just what am I going to do in this lifetime, but really like, this is a multiple lifetime project that we're committing to when we aspire to bodhicitta as like the driving force of our lives. And, and I want to make clear, you know, bodhicitta sounds so like vast and aspirational and like, how could we even aspire to this thing? You know, this is actually something that in the Tibetan tradition and the Zen tradition, probably in every Mahayana tradition, although I mean, I don't, I haven't practiced in them all, so I don't know. Like, this is something that we repeat every day. We repeat our aspiration for bodhicitta. May I wake up in order to benefit all living beings. So like when I did my practice this morning, part of that is a prayer, a verse in which you recite basically, may I through cultivating the four boundless states of love, compassion, joy, and equanimity, may I wake up to this full boundless bodhicitta and, and help everyone become free. The four boundless states are a topic for another time, but if you're familiar with them, um, I just want to put them in the context of bodhicitta. Joski says, yesterday I, I think, cried because they were cutting trees. Yeah, exactly. When you're cultivating bodhicitta, it's like a boundless heart of compassion. So anytime any living being suffers, I mean, that's one of the stories of Avalokiteshvara is that he had made this aspiration, I'm going to liberate all living beings from suffering. And lifetime after lifetime, he works on this and he becomes this great, amazing celestial bodhisattva. He's helped so many beings wake up to the nature of reality. And then he kind of has this moment where he like looks around and he realizes I've been doing this for eons, for like thousands and thousands of years. I've liberated all these beings and there's still almost an infinite number of beings unliberated. And the story goes that in that moment, like the pain of the world that he hasn't yet been able to address is so great that he just explodes. This is how... I think this is how he comes to have these like thousand arms and 11 heads because he explodes. And this is what I love about this story. I think we can all relate to that sense of like the world suffering is too much if we tune into it. 
But what happens in this story is that Avalokiteshvara's teacher comes and puts him back together. And instead of just, you know, two arms and one head and like the standard, you know, human body, this is how he has the capacity to attend to all living beings. Something in him has been blown open. Now he's able to, you know, to see with the, the eyes on the palms of all the hands, with 11 heads facing in all directions. He's able to be aware of all the sufferings of the world. But and I think this is really important if we're talking about bodhicitta and cultivating at least the aspiration to have this big heart that will embrace like all living beings and want to remove suffering from all living beings. We can't, we can't get bogged down in the suffering. We have to be able to channel this extremely powerful force of awakened compassion and like be a vessel for that into the world rather than trying to use our own little teeny tiny limited human capabilities for compassion. <clears throat> so, you know, I think Joski's comment about crying because people are cutting trees, you know, there's, there's a lot of truth and a lot of wisdom to that. When we start opening ourselves through this aspiration of bodhicitta to the suffering of all living beings and wanting to alleviate that suffering, we're kind of opening to an amount of suffering that can be overwhelming. And that's part of the reason, you know, in all the Mahayana traditions I'm familiar with, but definitely in, in Tibetan Buddhism, I'll just speak from my own tradition. Um, you're not alone as you cultivate bodhicitta. There are Buddhas, there are Bodhisattvas, there are the great beings of the past who have shown the way and who are not just gone. It's sort of like there's an energetic resonance in the universe. And when we call on that or when we cultivate that capacity within ourselves, it's like we're activating this much larger, some might say transpersonal energy system to help us move in the direction of bodhicitta, to help us open to the suffering of beings, not in a way that depletes us, but in a way that we're able to, to meet it with agency, to be able to offer, if nothing else, you know, our sympathy, our compassion, maybe a kind word or a kind deed. And if we can, to actually try to alleviate, you know, the suffering of others, whether it's helping to feed somebody or volunteering somewhere, or, you know, even just offering a friend a kind ear if they're going through a rough time. So I think it's super, super important to, when we think of bodhicitta, to recognize it's not something I do, you know, this is my bodhicitta that I have to cultivate on my own. It's something where we ask for the support and really, yeah, support, but like in a sense that we allow it to flow through us, you know, the guidance, the energy of the universe as we cultivate what in Mahayana Buddhism is considered this like highest state of mind, bodhicitta. So if you have any questions or any comments, please drop them in the comments and I'll, I'll address them. But I want to go on and talk now about two different types of bodhicitta. And these are, what I'm going to say is based on this great classic, the Bodhicharya Vatara. It was originally written in Sanskrit 
it's translated into Tibetan, and basically it's like the textbook on bodhicitta and how to cultivate it. And basically there are two types of bodhicitta. So there's the bodhicitta of aspiration and then the sort of like ultimate bodhicitta. Thank you, Joski. Thank you. <clears throat> so the bodhicitta of aspiration is sometimes compared to like planning for a journey. So we want to go somewhere that we currently are not. We want to be able to have this like fully realized bodhicitta that embraces all living beings with compassion, helps us, helps everyone else wake up completely out of suffering. So for bodhicitta of aspiration, it's sort of like we're figuring out, okay, what would I need to do in my life, in my practice, to get from here to like fully realized bodhicitta? So for beginners like us, the bodhicitta of aspiration really is what we're probably gonna be cultivating. So we're making the aspiration, you know, may I wake up so that I can help everyone else wake up. It's sort of like in a, in a, a flight when they tell you uh, if we encounter turbulence, put your own <laughs> um, like oxygen mask on before you try and help someone else. It's like that. If I just go out today and I'm like, I'm gonna help everybody wake up to the nature of reality. Like I can tell you, I have not myself fully woken up to the nature of reality. So if I go out and I'm like, hey everybody, here's how it is, blah, blah, blah. I'm not gonna be introducing them to the nature of reality. I'm gonna be introducing them to my ideas about the nature of reality. And that I think is when we get into problems. <laughs> you know, when religions become fundamentalist or when people, you know, like all they can talk about is this one, you know, idea of reality that they have. So the, the bodhicitta of aspiration really is about figuring out how do I get from here to there? What is the path? How do I walk it? So there are a lot of traditional teachings. It's also said it's, well, it is super, super helpful to have a teacher and to have a Sangha. And, you know, those of us who connect on Insight Timer, it's wonderful to have teachings on here and to be able to connect with like fellow students on here. Um, incidentally, I have a group called Buddhist Wisdom Modern Life. And if you're not part of it, you're welcome to join it. Uh, this topic actually was requested I don't remember now who requested it, but somebody requested a talk on bodhicitta. So you can, you know, request a, a talk that you're on, on a topic that you're interested in. <clears throat> but I'm saying that to say, it's really great to be able to have a two-way conversation, to have a teacher who knows you. Um, and, and that's part of sort of the path from aspirational bodhicitta to like ultimate or fully realized bodhicitta is finding a teacher, also finding a community, again, people you can get to know, you can hear their struggles, you can share your struggles so that you realize like, oh, we're all on a path together. Like nobody's out there just, you know, instantly fully like experiencing bodhicitta. It's a struggle to do this and I'm not alone. So there's a lot to that topic of, you know, the path toward fully realized bodhicitta. Uh, one way of thinking about it would be practicing the six perfections as, as they're described in the Mahayana path. You could also think about the Noble Eightfold Path, which is, you know, a shared description of the Buddhist path that all schools of Buddhism, you know, really value and respect. 
Uh, so there are different ways of thinking about the path. Again, that's a different, a different topic. But this aspirational bodhicitta is kind of that impulse, that urge that keeps us going down that path. Like even when it's difficult, even when we think like, wait, why am I actually trying to benefit all beings? Like maybe some beings just suck and I don't want to help them. You know, maybe they're awful. They deserve to suffer. This is not <laughs> uh, the attitude that we're trying to cultivate. But realistically, this is the attitude that I think everybody sometimes has as we're walking this path of aspirational bodhicitta. But let's talk for a moment about like ultimate bodhicitta, sort of fully realized bodhicitta that comes at the end of this path. So at that point, if we have fully realized both wisdom and compassion, so basically bodhi awakening is all about wisdom. And really what wisdom means in a Buddhist context is that we're realizing what our assumptions are about the world and we're starting to question the ones, well, we question them all as much as possible and we're starting to realize which ones are inaccurate and they're causing us to suffer and they're causing us to hurt other people too. So that's, that's how we cultivate wisdom. The other aspect of bodhicitta is compassion, like a boundless compassion for everyone. And that is very much related to wisdom because at the end of the day, Buddhism says it's not like you're over there and I'm over here. And what happens to you doesn't really matter to me. There's this beautiful image, I forget which sutra it's in, um, maybe the Lankavatara Sutra? But anyway, there's this beautiful image of what's called Indra's net. And the idea is that each of us is like a gym and we're strung together in this net. And every, so like the, the gyms are at the inter, the intersections, I guess, of like the, the strands of the net. And every gym reflects every other gym. So there's a sense in which, yes, we are, we're not one in the sense that we're all the same but we're all connected. So one of my teachers, um, he'll do this, he'll say, not one, not two. So it's not that we're all just the same thing. It's not that we're like disconnected like billiard balls. It's like each of us is like a node interconnected with all the other nodes of living beings that exist anywhere. So that's the view that we get with this wisdom side of the cultivation of bodhicitta. So if we're all connected, and you're suffering, of course it impacts me. I can't not care. Like what Joski said about crying when somebody cuts down trees, I feel that, you know, I, I recently, uh, my partner and I recently bought a house and like I was mowing the yard. I was like, oh, I'm so like bourgeoisie, I'm gonna mow the yard here. And I was just like, ah, I'm, I'm cutting grass. I'm topping down, you know, little plants. There's probably a lot of insects in there. and just our daily life involves causing suffering to beings. So, you know, to, to recognize these interconnections is automatically to start to tune into the sufferings of others and to want to alleviate them. And the thing that's specific about bodhicitta that makes it different from just compassion so like if I see somebody on the street and I feel compassion for them because I don't know, they're limping or they just look like they're having a bad day or whatever. Like I can look at them and be like, 
yeah, I can relate to that. I feel your pain. That's compassion. But bodhicitta is, I relate to that. I feel your pain. And it's especially sad because I know that actually you're a Buddha. You know, the, the Mahayana idea is that each of us really is a Buddha. And we walk around through this world having forgotten our true nature. We're walking around trying to like grab happiness from here and there and like hold it to us. And the whole time within ourselves, there's this tremendous like, you know, spring, this upwelling of everything we're looking for. But because we're looking outside, we don't, we don't notice what's already there. We've covered it up with so many layers that it's difficult to get to. Hi, Robert. Welcome, welcome. So that's really, that's what Bodhicitta wants to address. You know, I see the suffering. The suffering is extra tragic because we're Buddhas. Like it's not our true nature to suffer, to be unhappy, to be unsatisfied. So with Bodhicitta, we want to help someone else wake up, not just, not just address their immediate suffering in the moment, but the ultimate causes of suffering, which are, I mean, again, according to the Four Noble Truths, like suffering is just part of unawakened life. We suffer because we grab onto things. We don't understand the way reality works, that, that it's a flow, that it's impermanent, that, that we already have within us everything we need. So we're constantly trying to grab onto external things and that brings us suffering. Uh, and then the third noble truth that there's an end to suffering. Like there wouldn't be an end to suffering if there was just, if that was part of the fabric of who we are, part of the fabric of reality. But it's not, we can wake up out of it. And that makes it especially poignant to see someone else suffering. So bodhicitta is the aspiration. May I help you wake up out of this situation, out of all suffering whatsoever. And I just want to, I think sometimes, um, for me anyway, I hear this idea of like, I want to help you wake up out of suffering. And it sounds as if, you know, what I am aspiring to is to be able to like run over and be like, oh, hey, I have all the answers. I'm going to just tell you about the nature of reality. You're going to understand it. Boom. Like your problems will be solved. I will solve your problems. And that's not actually... The, the understanding that I have from, again, the Tibetan tradition of what bodhicitta really is. You know, sometimes maybe the thing someone needs to wake up to the nature of reality isn't somebody saying, this is the nature of reality. You know, maybe it is an animal who loves them unconditionally. So if, if I'm a great bodhisattva, maybe I make the aspiration to be born in whatever form is going to help somebody. Maybe I come back as somebody's dog or their cat and I help them experience unconditional love and it helps them move along their journey toward waking up. Um, there's, you know, there's a prayer like, may I be a bridge? May I be a boat? Like whatever someone needs to be able to realize the nature of reality for themselves, may I be that. And just again, to be super clear, no one can realize the nature of reality for you. So when we cultivate bodhicitta, may I help everyone wake up? 
it's not necessarily the case that we're saying, may I become like a great teacher or something like that. Just may I be someone who's able to play whatever role is necessary for others to be able to wake up as well. And, and you know, I think the last thing I want to say about this is that I think we sometimes, there's a bit of a, a tension in the tradition between practicing for yourself, for yourself, you know, awakening versus practicing to help others. But for beginners like us, like I cannot help anyone else until I have begun to wake up to the nature of reality myself. So I think functionally speaking, any kind of practice we do, it doesn't have to be like Mahayana practice. Um, it doesn't have to be even specifically about compassion. If you have this bodhicitta motivation, you can do basic mindfulness practice. But if you do it without intention, like I want to understand my mind so that I can best help other people understand their minds too, then your mindfulness practice becomes a bodhicitta practice. Or if you have just a moment during your day when you have an opportunity to be kind to someone and you do it with that motivation, again, of bodhicitta, like may, may the, the sufferings of all living beings be alleviated. It makes that little action so much more powerful. So I just wanna say this bodhicitta motivation if we take it with us into any kind of meditation practice or any other practice, like here you are watching some kind of discussion of bodhicitta, this is already something that you're doing with a bodhicitta motivation. So anything you can find in your daily life, in your daily practice, this is, this is the motivation you can do it with and it can transform whatever you do in your day into something that can help you kind of move along that path of, you know, aspirational bodhicitta into fully realized bodhicitta. And hopefully, you know, might be lifetimes from now, but hopefully at some point, those actions you're taking to help yourself wake up are also gonna help everyone else wake up too. And if you're able to cultivate, you know, compassion and caring about others and to be able to offer whatever is appropriate for your situation, then that also can be a powerful way of, you know, beginning to alleviate suffering now, not just kind of waiting like, oh, well, when I'm enlightened, then I'm going to help others. But right now, I, I just need to focus on myself. Like, no, even your own practice, if you do it with that outward orientation of benefiting all beings, can be a powerful way to cultivate um, eventually the capacity to help others. Whew. All right. So that was a whirlwind tour of Bodhicitta. And if you have any questions, please drop them in the comments and I will do my best to address them. <laughs>